Good morning, saints of our Lord. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him and never will. The light shines on us today as we continue to travel with Paul as he writes to the churches in Galatia in the epistle, ironically, Galatians. This is a favorite of Martin Luther's and one of those books of Luther's works that is really the crown jewel of all that he wrote. And as we see the grace of our Lord Jesus, we can't help but cherish it as well. But today, Paul uses some harsh language toward the Galatian churches, but he also shows us why it needs to be done when the gospel, the free forgiveness on account of Christ, is at stake. So pay attention. We are in for a treat this morning. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. This morning, we have the special honor to have with us Dr. Andrew Doss, professor of religious studies at Elmhurst College in Elmhurst, Illinois. And spe specifically this morning, it's a joy to have him with us because he is the author of the Concordia Commentary on Galatians from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Doss, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for having me. Have you recovered from all the snow that you've had to shovel? <laughs> we have more coming on Thursday, so yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, good, good for you. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions concerning our text today, which is verses 1 through 10, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Easy to remember, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now today is, a, a, like I said, a special treat for our listeners. We have Dr. Doss with us as he has done extensive work on this epistle. Um, as, as he even admits uh, throughout his writings that it's not like he's writing anything new, it's just he is standing on the foundation of those who came before him. And Dr. Doss, as I was going through your commentary, I, I obviously didn't read word for word, but going through it, I started to count the pages of references that you cite in the commentary, and there was 36 pages long of references. How long does it take for someone to go through all those references to write this book? How long does that take? Well, it, it wasn't all at once. I mean, obviously, it took about seven years to write the commentary, but I've been playing with this letter for, for a good uh, 15, 20 years prior. So, so that provides a helpful foundation so you don't, don't have to do it all in those seven years. Been wonderful. Yeah, and we won't do it all in an hour either. So, um, no. But, but you've you've done the work. Um, uh, Dr. Doss is a great teacher, and I encourage you, our listeners, to really focus in this morning. Grab your Bible, um, get out a map of the Mediterranean Sea in case you don't even know where Galatia is, and maybe even if you have his commentary, pull it out and see if you will um, be able to see those 36 pages of references, because today is a great day and the gifts are ready. So let's get started. We're just going to go right into the text. Reminder to our listeners that we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV of the Bible. So we're going to, we're going to stick with verse 1 to begin. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. We'll stop there for now. As you've noted, beginnings and endings are always important, Dr. Das, and we want to hunt for clues of the situation Paul was addressing. So in this first verse, 
he starts off the letter with the words, Paul, an apostle, not from human being, nor from, uh, excuse me, not from human being, excuse me, nor through a human being, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It strikes me that we're starting off with a lot of negatives here. Uh, uh not from human beings, not from this, not from that. Uh, there's a lot of things on this. So what is Paul doing here? Yeah, we're going to see shortly that there is a rival group of teachers at Galatia since Paul left. And so many people wonder if these negatives here are because Paul is trying to defend himself. And uh, here, hold, hold on, I know it's a popular conception, but let's, here's the problem. If Paul is trying, let's say, to show that he's independent of the Jerusalem apostles, he's not from a human being, as we keep on going, we're going to see he doesn't do a very good job of it. He'll narrate <laughs> later on in chapter 1 all the time he spent with Peter. He's going to talk about the Jerusalem gang's endorsement of his gospel in chapter 2. Paul never says he, he, he was, that anybody was claiming he was dependent on them. But here's the thing. In the end, he's not all that concerned about his apostleship. He only mentions it four times in the letter. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word gospel in your hand he mentions 14 times and six times right there in Galatians 1. So Paul's not worried about his own credentials. He's worried about the gospel. That's what's really important to him. And you have to understand, this is likely Paul's earliest letter. And so the word apostle is, in this sense, unique to the first Christians. The Gentiles living in Galatia wouldn't have been familiar with this usage for the word apostle. So Paul's having to define it for them. And the word apostle basically means one who is sent. But who sent him? There are apostles sent by churches as missionaries, but Paul's explaining here that it's not a human being who sent him. He's been sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father, and that means that this is a message that's coming directly from the source. And, and that's, the reason that's important is Paul's going to be contrasting all through this letter what God has done with what human beings are doing. The gospel's always about what God has done in invading our world, saving us from our sins, changing our lives. If there's any nod at all here to the other teachers of Galatia, if they were boasting about their credentials having been sent by human authorities, hey, Paul enjoys the very authority of God himself. This letter, this teaching is direct from the Lord himself. That's what he's saying here. Well, it's interesting. So what, just to clarify, is that he's, this beginning point is part of a teaching opportunity for him, because the word apostle, like we, we think of it disciples, and we, we kind of have this general understanding of what an apostle is, but for the churches in Galatia, that was not an easy, that was not a word that just they understood right away. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Paul's having to translate it for him. He's trying to explain exactly what he means, and ultimately it's not so much some sort of office that he's concerned about. It's the one who sent him. This is about mm. the one who sent Paul, and that's God the Father and Jesus Christ. You know, you said that the Paul's ultimate qualification to preach the gospel is because of Christ. He was called by Christ himself, and Paul doesn't stop there. He also mentions God the Father. Since we're still here at the very beginning of the letter, I wonder if you might, if that might be significant. The gospel of Christ well, certainly is, obviously, but what does Paul think about God as Father? Well, it's interesting you point that out there, because that really is a stress here early in the letter. We're going to get it again in just a couple of verses here in verse 4. Paul's really stressing God as Father. And already he's hinting at one of the major motifs we're going to see all through this series on Galatians. It runs all through the letter, that God is creating a new family, a new household. He's going to talk about how we're all sons. We're all heirs of Abraham in chapter 3. 
And then he ends that chapter talking about how we're the seed or we're the offspring of Abraham by our being in Christ. He's going to turn right around at the very beginning of the next chapter and talk about how we enjoy the full rights and privileges of heirs as God's own adopted sons, not just Abraham. So we can call God Abba, our own father. And then even Paul, he gets it in the act later in Galatians 4 when he calls them my little children. We're, we're the children of promise. And then in Galatians 6, at the end of the letter, he calls us all members of a household, this household of God. So no wonder then that he keeps calling the Galatians brothers and sisters all through the letter. We're members of a new family, the family of faith. Now, now this is the part I think is kind of interesting. I mean, do you realize the implications of that? I mean, where we should find our identity. So, so my family, we, we don't find our identity as, let's say, a bunch of dasas, but, but rather as a bunch of people in Christ. I mean, that's who we really are. That's who our real family is. So have you ever thought of your fellow church members as your family? Because this is a family that God himself is creating and calling into being by our faith in Christ. This is our real family. You know, and that's, that's interesting, because um, when I did my, uh, my field work in St. Louis, the church would always start by saying, good morning, Bethlehem family. And so that was just a, that was kind of striking to me. And I use that language where I serve now at Messiah. Good morning, Messiah. Good morning, Messiah family. And, and that's, that, that's a lot what Paul, Paul is saying here. And this is interesting, too, because he, he speaks about this family language, but then he really emphasizes this, uh, that, that, that the father has raised his son from the dead. So what's the connection there? There's a lot in this first verse. So what's the connection there, you think, or what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, God God is active for his own family in bringing his son from the dead. And even as God has acted on behalf of his own son, he's going to act on behalf of us. But, yeah, this is interesting because, it, you know, this is really the only reference we have here in the letter to, to the resurrection. We have a lot about Jesus' suffering. We have a lot about Jesus' death in this letter, his work on the cross. But this is our one little nod to the resurrection. But don't just because he doesn't talk about the resurrection, don't, don't think that this—, this comment here doesn't leave a, a, a long mark across this letter, because Paul barely mentions God the Father without immediately adding that he raised his son, he raised Jesus from the dead. So whatever you're going to say, you can't talk about God as Father apart from what he's doing in Christ. We don't approach God. We don't enjoy him as our Father apart from his son, apart from his family member. So there's no path to God apart from Jesus Christ. And you know that's always been the real stumbling block of Christianity, biblical Christianity, that there's only one path to God, the path of Christ. But it's even more than that. And what Paul's signaling here is that God is doing something in Christ, and it's power-charged. It's life-giving. He raised his crucified son back to life again. And he wants the Galatians to know that that same life-giving power is at work in their midst. So he's going to be talking about the life we enjoy in Christ at different points in the letter. And I'm thinking of Galatians 2.20, one of your favorites, and -hmm. the life we live in and through Christ. So Paul's starting this letter off with God's power, and he's going to close with this new creation that God is bespeaking into existence through his preaching the gospel. You know, with all the effects of sin that we're seeing in our world, um, Paul never wants us to lose sight of the awe-inspiring power of that simple message of a Savior who died but was raised from the dead. There's real power in this letter. There's real power at work in our lives through God. And, you know, this is very interesting because a lot of times, let's say you're doing a reading plan, 
at, uh, you know, for your church or something, or even you're doing a Bible study on Galatians 1 or Galatians period or any of the epistles, that we often kind of gloss over the first verses, you know, the greeting, like, okay, yeah, it's a normal greeting, blah, 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 blah. But what, what I'm hearing you say, there's a lot packed in right at the beginning that is that we often we, we need to unpack uh, the power of the resurrection. Um, I know I think I, I read read something on the lines of when he says through Jesus and God the Father, he has a very high Christology already that he doesn't see Jesus as like a, a lower than God type of um, uh, person or God. He sees that there's a high Christology already right there, and that he raised him from the dead, which is kind of the thread that goes through the rest of the book. All that in one verse. Um, any any other thoughts on that first verse? That's a lot already, but any more? Well, yeah, I mean, he's going to keep on going. He'll talk about Jesus in, in verse 3. He's going to talk about this grace and peace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it ties into your point there. Uh, you know, when you think about the Lord, if you're reading the Jewish scriptures, uh, as were others in Paul's day, I mean, Lord, that's the word you, you use for God, and Paul's mm-hmm. using it here for Christ. So you're right, there's this very high view of Christ here. And, and it's not just Jewish scriptures. There are other texts in play here, too. I mean, remember, Caesar claimed to be Lord in this world. And so Paul is going to be talking about a different Lord, the, the real Lord, the only true Lord in this world, um, the only real power, and it's Jesus Christ. So this is very radical here at the beginning of the letter. Beginnings and endings of, of Paul's letters are always freighted. They're always full of significance. And, and he starts this letter off with a bang. Well, we probably could spend an hour on verse 1, but we'll we'll move on because there's even more to unpack, I believe, in verse 2. Um, so let's let's read verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here he he mentions the brothers uh, are writing to the churches of Galatia. What do we know about the addressees? Yeah, one of the big clues to Paul's letters you want to always watch for, especially in this series on Paul that you're doing, uh, every Pauline letter, watch his use of pronouns. So in this letter, when he talks about you people— I mean, obviously here he's talking about you people. He means the churches at Galatia. So now, now notice in verse 2, it's churches plural. So this isn't a single gathering of believers. It's plural. These are the believers scattered all through the Galatian region. And we know that Paul visited the Galatian province in Acts 13 and 14. It's one of the Roman provinces. And he'd been along the Roman road system, making his way west, westward. The region is not too far from his hometown of Tarsus. Some people think he went further north, but always keep in mind that the road system at this point didn't travel that far north. It went for another generation. And and Paul's a city kid. He likes to travel between major cities. Hmm. So Paul's itinerary here in Galatians matches exactly what we read in the book of Acts. And that means that Galatians is Paul's earliest letter. It comes around A.D. 48 to 49. Now, we do have another clue about you Galatians, and, and it's an important verse a little later in the letter to, to, to glance for for just a second. You know, I mentioned that Paul identifies them with second-person pronouns as, as you people. Well, in Galatians 4.8, he reminds them of how you, you, didn't know God, but were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. Not God's, plural. Notice that, that, that plural there. So hmm. this doesn't sound like a Jewish crowd, does it, um, with their God's, plural? So Paul's addressing the Galatians, you people, as former idolaters. They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. Former pagan idolaters. And we're going to see why that's significant very soon here in Galatians 1. 
So when we look at a map, and I would encourage our our listeners for you to look at a map, I think one of the tendencies that I know I've had as you're digging through the scriptures is that we take the place um, out of context, and we don't really think about the place that is happening. But what you're saying is is Galatia's a, a pretty big region, um, and I've read different commentaries that talk about was this in the northern end or southern end. But you are you're pretty committed to that it's in the southern end, obviously by the cities where he would have gone. Um, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so looking at that wide area, do we have any idea of how many churches there were? Well, I mean, we just know that uh, what Paul's doing in Acts 13 14, this is any indication at all, and it should be. Um, Paul is going into these various synagogues throughout the region, and, he, and he's planting churches in, in these major cities along the way. So, so he has done a lot of church planting. He'll go in into a city. I mean, again, he's a city kid. It's not like Jesus you know, does all the agricultural imagery in the farmlands. You know, now we're in the city. So, so he, just, he goes into these cities because he thinks that you know, what you do in the city is going to naturally transplant itself around the city. So it, it's a great place to start. And he's going to various places. He starts in the synagogues, a place that's familiar to him as, as a Jewish person. And, and he preaches this message of the Jewish Savior there. And so he plants these, these, these congregations and, and leaves them there, and these people worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. And so then when he gets back, you know, what we find out in the letter to the Galatians, he gets back to, to Antioch, and then he gets word that another group has arrived there. And so he's having to, to write back to them again. But so it's, it's really, you know, he talks about these various trips to Jerusalem in the book of Acts. He talks about his trips to Jerusalem in the letter to the Galatians. So when you line them up, you have a really nice chronology here uh, of what Paul is doing. And it, it makes this a very important letter, Paul's earliest. And so is there a significance to it being the earliest? Um, I don't know. I, I was just thinking about this. Have you found any significance that it is the earliest besides it just well, is? Yeah, I mean, the, here's the thing. A lot, a lot of, of scholars want to put Galatians later. And the reason they want to do that is because Galatians thought to have a more developed theology that, that Paul's learning as he goes. He's figuring out his theology keeps going. So they want to put First Thessalonians as the earliest. They'll put Galatians later on with Romans or First Corinthians. But the significance of this is that if you put Galatians as Paul's earliest, guess what? Paul had a pretty clear understanding of his message early on. He's, he's narrating his conversion here, as, you, as you'll see next week in, in, Acts, or in Galatians chapter 1. He already understands the significance of this. So already from his conversion, his call, he was being called by God to a specific ministry, and, and that has profound implications. He's being sent to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles, and even the Gentiles, are being included in what God has done for his people Israel. So he realized this early on, and so we don't have to wait for this. And, and of course, it makes for a nice, uh, you know, the thing is, too, if, if, if you, you know, if, if you, don't put Galatians as your earliest letter, then you end up in a little bit of a tension here between Acts and Galatians. It's really unnecessary when people want to place it later. Um, they, they have trouble reconciling the two, but for a critical scholar, that wouldn't be a big deal. But if you have a high view of Scripture, then, then it would be. But at the same time, it just also makes the best sense of the letter. And you make a very good argument, a very strong argument for that in your commentary, which was very helpful because there is that kind of weird moments of how does this connect with, you know, Jerusalem and Acts 15 and 13, 14? How does this all fit? It does make sense um, to have it that early and also that he has such a high 
like I said, Christology and understanding of all of that, it really runs through all the other epistles and helps us understand everything put together um, very well. So thank you for that insight. Any other thoughts on the first two verses, uh, Dr. Doss? Well, I'm just looking here in these early verses about how he's saying them a message of grace and peace. I guess that's verse three, isn't it? So again, we've talked about it verses is. one and two. <laughs> so let's move on. Let's go to three through I'm five. I'm jumping ahead. I keep... You are. What is going on here? You know, it's a snow that's uh, making us anxious. Yeah. Anyways, is uh, we have about two, actually about three minutes left here. So we'll read this and we'll cover what we can and, and go for the rest at the end of our break. Verses three through five. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul sends them a message, like you were just getting ahead of us with, grace and peace. What is he? What's the significance of that, grace and peace? Well, you know, my eyes are being drawn to verse 3 uh, as I'm looking at these early verses, and, and it's hard not to be because, I mean, this is such freighted language here. I mean, grace in, in Paul's letter here. Paul is confronting a teaching here, as we're going to see, that's compromising grace. It's compromising the very grace that we have in Christ. So so right up front, and how he opens the letter, he's, he's flagging the key concerns along the way. And he it just as much so peace is freighted language here, because what's happened here is that there's this rival group of teachers that we're going to see in a moment that have caused a stir at Galatia. They're going to come through in a couple of verses later. But when they cause a stir there, remember, peace later in the letter, it's a fruit of the spirit. And that mm. fruit is the opposite of rivalry factions and divisions, which Paul is having to confront here, that's been caused by some false teaching. So anytime there's false teaching in a church, or churches at Galatia, it's going to disrupt the peace that God gives. And so this is, this is really important. But then he keeps on going. I mean, you mentioned that about Jesus giving himself for our sins, his sacrificial death. Um, um, Jesus died for our sins. Um, and if you want to know more about how Christ's death rescues us from our sins, just stay tuned to the series in a couple of weeks because we're going, to, we're going to be getting that in the rest of Galatians. But I don't know how much time we have before the break here, but what I find less familiar to us as Lutherans is the rest of this language here in verse 4, that the Lord Jesus Christ has rescued us from the present evil age. You know, Paul is like a lot of Jews this day. He's an apocalyptic thinker. It's a big word. But the Jews were busy in these centuries writing apocalypses. And what it is, it's a genre of literature. It's a type of literature where you'd have an angel come and take a seer on a journey, whether through the various levels of heaven with supernatural beings or the various epochs of time. Um, you know, we only have one in the New Testament. It's just the book of Revelation. Now, now, now Paul's not writing an apocalypse, but he does share that worldview. There's this hidden world of angels and demons with God and Satan. Mm. There are levels of the heavens above, as, as, as we just saw back in Second Corinthians a few chapters yeah. ago. There are epochs of time. There's this world, which is ultimately an evil world, he says here. It's passing away. And, and then there's this new world that's coming. Only, only here's the interesting part. For Paul, there's this twist. This new world is overlapping with the outgoing present evil age. So those who believe in Christ have been rescued from the present evil age. They've been transferred into a new age, but, but this new age does not fully reveal itself until the last day. And that's when the present evil age completely passes away. 
So Paul has to remind us in this in-between time that, that yeah, we, you know, we are living in a different time with the coming of Christ and Spirit in our lives, but we're still waging that battle against the flesh, against the powers of this current cosmos that are still with us. But Paul is really emphasizing here that we're fighting that battle from the point of view of a decisive victory that we have in Christ who has rescued us from this present evil age. He'll close the letter with a new creation in Christ. And, and the, knowing what time we're in with Christ and the Spirit, that's just going to place everything into perspective. That, that is a great thing for us to catapult us after the break, but right now we need to take that break. We are studying the first verses of Galatians uh, with Dr. Andrew Doss. We'll be right back. our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. In 2020, the world was blindsided. At the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, we quickly refocused on how to best serve the church. Our COVID-19 response team took action, reaching out and listening to our borrowers. In response, we offered a number of financial remedies that allowed our borrowers time to stabilize. We also provided online streaming kits for churches, gift cards for food pantries, financial support for LCMS church workers, and much more. Life's not yet back to normal, and that's why we're still here for you. Visit LCEF. Dot org to learn more. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. And welcome back. We are studying Galatians chapter 1 with Dr. Andrew Doss of Elmhurst College. And we are so blessed. We are learning so much in only a few verses here. And one of the things that I've, I've read that you have read that you have said, Dr. Doss, is that this entire letter is almost uh, just unfolding or unveiling the meaning of God's grace. And, and then, you know, he talks about peace and he talks about the evil age. Do you want any to extend more on those thoughts? Because you were really getting into it that we see the world and we realize how e evil it is. But there's a new dawn. There's a new era that will come with the resurrection. But what else do you want to talk about? Because you were going really well before our break. So what else do you want to share with us? 
<laughs> Wind me up, let me go. Well, you know, it, this is Paul. I mean, <laughs> Paul's an apocalyptic thinker, and what it means is we, we, you know, it's very easy with the world around us to look at what's going on in the present evil age. And it is very, very evil. So, so the world is very evil, and that's how the hymn goes. But, but the point is, is that here is that, is that where is your perspective in the midst of all this? Paul wants the Galatians to have a change in perspective. In other words, we're not to be fixated on the very evil world that's around us, because guess what? That's, been, that's passing away. We've been rescued from that. He wants our eyes always focused on what God is doing in Christ, because there's this power-charged reality, invisible to, 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 to the, the regular eye, I mean the naked eye, that, that, that is only visible to the eyes of faith. And so w- when we see this, we realize there's, there is great power at work in our world, despite what we might see around us in, in Christ and His Spirit. And, and that's what this letter is about, that, that it's, it's, we don't want any sort of false teaching or, or, or misimpression to lead us astray from, from this wonderful new reality that God has done for us in Christ and His Spirit. It, it's very uplifting and very encouraging. I think this is, these are verses, and I would encourage our listeners that these are verses that are probably very important for us to read today. Um, these first five verses, and, and this is something that, you know, typically you go to Galatians 2, like we talked about, or Fruit of the Spirit, go to chapter 5, or in the very end, chapter 6, and we kind of go to those verses to, to, to find the hope, which clearly there is. But here, right in the first five verses, this might be something we need to read um, and to pray about when we watch the news or we hear more stories or we think about COVID. I mean, I think there's a very pastoral and spiritual care component to these first five verses that often I just overlook. I get right to verse six to the astonishment and I think about all those things. And I really appreciate pointing us to that. I'll encourage our listeners, read these verses over and over again because they will fill you with so much, as he says, grace and peace from our Lord who has delivered us from this evil age. Last thoughts in the first five verses. There's so much, but any last thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that's the point. At the end of verse five, I mean, he talks about how he talks about God the Father. And he just can't, he can't end these first five verses without looking upward and praising God, to whom be glory and to the ages of ages. It's, it's worshipful. It's, it's a prayer of praise. Amen. That's how he closes these first five verses. Well, that's good for us to move on then, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here in these verses, it's a it's an abrupt change of scenery almost from amen to astonished is <laughs> really how he's moving here. And Paul, praise, Paul praises God in verse 5, um, to him be all the glory. But no sooner he is, is finished praising them, he changes his tone in verses 6 and 7 very dramatically. It seems like there's something going on in Galatia that Paul is very upset about. Would you take a few minutes to talk about that? Yeah, we're going to have to take a few minutes on that. And it is. It's a little <laughs> shocking. It's a little disorienting. I mean, he's looking upward to heaven. It's like his gaze is forced 
downward. He's, have to, he's forced to confront this, this earthward-bound uh, uh, problem that he's having at Galatia. Every word, every syllable suddenly is filled with, with frustration and righteous anger bubbling the surface. So, I mean, you know, within 46 words in the original, Paul's going to go from the heavenward amen to a pronouncement of God's curse. So, wow, what prompted this? Um, we're going to have to look a little bit here about the situation behind this letter here, now that Paul's coming to address it. And you may remember a little bit ago, I mentioned the importance of Paul's use of pronouns. And we were talking about the second person, you people, the Galatians, that they're non-Jews. But in verses 6 and 7 here, notice how Paul is going to start switching his pronouns. So he's amazed that you are so quickly turning away from the one who called you in the grace of, of Christ to a different gospel, not that there's another gospel, but some people, do you catch that? Some people are confusing you. Notice that, that third person there hmm. and are wanting mm-hmm. to pervert the gospel of Christ. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, when, you, when you're not happy with someone you know, and, you, and you don't want to call them by name, you say, oh, some people. <laughs> So, I mean, Paul's doing that here. So, so, so there are some people out there. You know, I'm not even, I don't even want to dignify them with the name. But who are these some people? Who are these other people as opposed to you, Galatians? Well, we have to kind of read Galatians inductively. And so you look later in the letter, and, and we're going to pretty much know who they are by the end. So he's going to say in Galatians 6.12, he's going to say, those people. So we're back to them again. Those people who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who compel you to be circumcised. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you know the Galatians are uncircumcised Gentiles. They, they were former idolaters. But those people, this third-person group, is trying to get the Galatians to be circumcised. So those people are Jewish. They're advocating circumcision. And it's not just circumcision. So... so if you backtrack in the letter a little bit, back in Galatians 4:21, we were just looking at the end here. In 4:21, Paul's going to identify the Galatians as you who want to be under the law. I mean, in other words, you're not there yet, but it's not just circumcision. You want to be under the law. It's the full observance of Moses' law that they're considering on the influence of these rival teachers. Um, Okay, so the plot is thickening here. Now, now let's go back a step further. Go, I, mean, I think the crux of all this really is in Galatians 2.16. It, it's a verse I, I've stressed quite a bit because it's a little ambiguous in the Greek at the beginning of the verse if you're looking at 2.16. But Paul's talking about how we Jews by birth, and, and what he means by we Jews by birth are Jewish Christians. So it's going to be a statement about Jesus Christ. But we Jews by birth, we all know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you're listening to that thinking, well, I mean, yeah, of course. That's, isn't that what Paul's saying? You know, we're not justified by the works of the law, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ. If all of us Jewish Christians were on board with that, what's the problem? Um, but hold on a second. I mean, what's all the fuss? Here's hmm. the interesting part. That verse can be translated in a very different way, and, and, and listen to how different it is. I mean, translating it that way, like translations do, it sounds like Paul. But what if you translate it this way? We who are Jews by birth all know that a person is not justified by the works of the law except by faith in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Hmm. With faith in, faith in Christ, you actually are justified by the works of the law. I mean, 
isn't that exactly the teaching that Paul's combating at Galatia? So, so you know, we have this kind of UN resolutions worded ambiguously so everybody can buy into it. You know, the Jewish Christians are all agreed, you know, but you know, those guys, those, some people, some people are interpreting it one way. And by the end of verse 16, 216, Paul will obviously be interpreting a very different way, that faith in Christ and the works of the law are mutually exclusive. And he's saying this because those people were saying it's not enough to believe in Jesus Christ. You also need to observe Moses' law. It's part of God's holy salvation. And, and, and you know, this is really, it's really a very understandable point of view. Because if you think about it for a second, and this is Paul's earliest letter, I mean— who believes in Jesus Christ? Weren't they all a bunch of Jewish people? Weren't they all circumcised? I mean, weren't the Jewish people God's people? I mean, it, WWJD, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. You know, he, he was circumcised. Should, should his followers be too? And, yet, you know, as understandable as that point of view is, and as much as we can sympathize with it here early in this Christian movement, Paul's having to say in response just a few verses later in 221, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I mean, do you realize what's at stake mm-hmm. here? You know, you are really rendering Christ's death not really sufficient. It's kind of penultimate. It's not really ultimate. It's not the ultimate thing. Or, 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 and he, he'll say it again in 321. If the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. You know, what he's saying here is that faith in Christ is all-sufficient. It's all that we need to be saved. And, of course, if that's the case, can't the Gentiles be saved by faith too? You know, it doesn't have to be supplemented by human works or activity, by our, by our, our, our taking on you know, a Jewish identity. So, so this is the conflict that's at the heart of this letter. As understandable as it may be, uh, when we start saying that's, that it's somehow necessary to become Jewish or to obey God's law, then we've placed something else alongside Jesus Christ. And the minute you do that— Christ is no longer at the center of, of all that we believe. So kind of a, um, a, what was happening in the church was something like, and just bear with me because I'm a simple guy, is you had Jews and Gentiles in these churches, probably meeting in homes, and, and there became a discussion about, wait, you're not circumcised? What's going on? Um, that's kind of like required, isn't it? Well, no, Jesus is. You know, that's all we need. Well, Jesus was circumcised. Oh, my gosh. I probably should be too, and they're going through all of this that they're not. Uh, they're going through all this that causes more conscience um, issues, more burdens upon their souls. And here, all of this is happening, and what gets lost is the gospel, is, is faith, because they're so focused on Jesus plus something else as opposed to Jesus that people's consciences were being seared and burdened with all of this. Is that is that kind of a scenario that, that we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, it's always like you know, when there's always something else. I mean, like, it, you know, it's, it's always just something else that draws your attention. Yeah, Jesus, but there's something else. Let me tell you about it. I mean, what you have here is you people. We have these congregations that are exclusively Gentiles. They're all pagan, former idolaters. That's how Paul addresses them. He's been mm. there and is forming these churches. And so you hear these Galatian Gentile gatherings. But there were synagogues in the region and people and people. And so you have these Jewish Christ-believing teachers who've come in afterward and say, hey, you know, you know, Paul taught you about the Jewish Messiah, you know, but um, 
you know, we're, we're, that's great. This is wonderful. But but let's tell you a little more about that. You, know, you want to believe in a Jewish Messiah? Well, maybe he didn't have time to tell you this because he was on the on the road so much and he was on the run going from church, uh, city to city. But there's more to it. This Jewish Messiah was, was a Messiah of a people, and they were a circumcised people. They they had God's law. So, so, you know, they're coming into these Gentile gatherings saying, you know, let's tell you more about this Jewish Messiah and fill in that message a little bit. And Paul hears about it and says, oh, well, no, wait a minute, you know. I mean, if you had needed that, I would have, told, I would have told you that initially. No, this this is this is this is a compromise of everything I said. So it, it makes a lot of sense of why he is astonished. And and I know you reference this too that there is no Thanksgiving section in this epistle. Is that the only epistle that doesn't have a I give thanks to God for you because of your faith, et cetera, et cetera? Is this the only epistle that Paul writes that he does not yeah, have this, a Thanksgiving? This, it's a little shocking here. I mean, this is this is a pretty dark opening to, to the letter. I mean, the fact that we're not giving thanks here, and and it really is. We talked about how you are so quickly turning here, you know, with this rival teaching. It, it's a lot like, I mean, you get these echoes of Israel in the wilderness, I mean, turning away from God with the golden calf incident. No sooner did they receive, ironically, no sooner had they received God's law, they were turning away from it. So it's a little ironic play here. You want to talk about apostasy from, from God's, God's word, you know, Israel apostatized, no sooner had they gotten it. And you're just doing this all over again. Uh, uh, here at Galatians. So, so this is pretty dark language. It, you know, I imagine you know, sometimes Paul says a lot of things that, that the Galatians themselves would not get. But if you were one of those Jewish rival teachers and you had heard him use this language of turning away, and you'd have in your ears, oh, Israel turned away at Mount Sinai. And, yeah, he's targeting mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so, so, right. you know, Communication right. is taking place on more than one level here. They're the Gentile Galatians. And so, oh, for you Gentiles, let me quote the scripture for you. See, I'm quoting, I'm quoting, I'm quoting. But then for the other people, you know, you're turning away so quickly. <laughs> wow. To be put in that place where you're you're doing the golden calf thing and you don't even think you're doing it. That would be very hard to swallow. Absolutely. And well, and here he, he's he talks, condemning you as a Jewish teacher. Yeah. He's he's really <laughs> condemning you as a teacher. And and it it's very harsh language in this way. It's not a you know you're a little bit off in your theology. Uh, you know you're actually deserting Christ Himself. You're, you're deserting God Himself, and it is not a um, a different like I think we do this in the nowadays. We're like, well, it's just a little bit different way of looking at things. You know, different denominations or something along those lines. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about your view of the sacrament or something, um, even though that could be another discussion. Is is but here is a completely different gospel. Good news. This is not. This is not like. Um, um, well, you have your good news. I have my good news. No, you are denying the good news that made you a church, that made you God's people, that made you everything. You are absolutely not only um, denying it, you're distorting it, and it's not the same thing at all. Th- that seems significant to me. I know you've written a lot about that, but he's very hard. Hard. Uh, he's making a hard line to show this isn't like a little bit different. This is completely different. Any thoughts on yeah, that? I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of perspective. I mean, if you were one of these teachers at Galatia, uh, yeah, we believe in Jesus as Savior. I mean, he's, he's how we're saved from our sins. You know, they would say, yes, yes, yes. 
But there's also this, and we also, you know, he's a Jewish Messiah. We, we, we do need to respect that God's people are the Jewish people. We should become, we should join them and become, take on circumcision. And, and God gave the law. I mean, uh, didn't he give the law at Mount Sinai? You should take on God's law as for how you should live. So, so they see this very much as supplemental, as mm-hmm. uh, filling in a little bit of, of, of Paul's message, the rest of it. And Paul takes this as, no, this isn't filling in. Uh, something that I left out or, or I'm missing. Um, this is something that, that when you've added to or, or, or compromised, when you're changing, you've changed the gospel. It's very easy to change the gospel. It doesn't, you know, the warning here is it doesn't take a lot to, to uh, a falsity to change the whole message. Um, and that and that's, it goes back to your talk on uh, Galatians two sixteen, where if you look at that word through faith. Or accept? Did you say accept by faith? Is that how you said it? Accept. Yeah, you're accept not faith. justified by the works of the law. Accept when you have faith, and then you and are. That, and that small little word can change everything. <laughs> as far as how you're seeing seeing this, is it you know faith alone is is what you're saying, or faith plus something else? And so, like you said, it is so easy to change the gospel because we always want to insert ourselves in, into it. Or as one of my professors would say, something along the lines of, uh, we always want to put butts into it. Yeah, you say, well, you're saved by faith in Christ, um, him crucified. And you'll say, but, 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 but. And he's like, no, no, stop the butts. Just keep it with Jesus. Keep it with faith. Keep it in that. It's so easy to do that. And that's something that we always need to be cognizant of then, obviously, but also today. Last thoughts on those verses? Yeah, before we, you know, it's easy to... to, to, to you know, rail against these rival teachers, but remember, this is there's a lot that they have on 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 their side. I mean, any time Paul quotes the scriptures in this letter, it looks like he's quoting passages because they were a body of proof text being used by um, the, these rival teachers. So, if mm-hmm. you look at let's say Galatians three ten. Curses anyone who does not observe, and this is a passage, and, and, and if you have a Bible that has, the, you know, sometimes, the, like the Christian Standard Bible has the Old Testament quotes in, in, in bold. It's kind of nice when you have a, a translation that does that, because then you can see this is a quotation from, from, from the Old Testament. Curses everyone who does not observe and obey everything in this book of the law to do them. You're cursed if, you know, the, the, that's a Deuteronomy text says you're cursed if you don't do everything in the law. Or, or, or Leviticus 18, verse 5, quoted in Galatians 3.12, you know, you, you want life, you know, you want to live. I mean, the, the one who lives, you know, if you live by doing the law. The one who does the law will live by it. So, so the law has this promise of life to it. The, doing the law avoids God's curse. You, we don't want to be under God's curse, which maybe is ironic that, that now Paul's saying in, you're under God's curse. <laughs> you're trying to avoid it, you know, by doing the law, and yet you brought yourself under it. It's a little ironic, but 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 this is a, this is they would have been teaching right out of the scriptures that the law of Moses, the law of God at Mount Sinai, was always a law intended to give life. And Paul's trying to say it just didn't work out that way, and, and so he's going to have to explain this all through the rest of the letter. 
that is that is very powerful for us to remember for the church today, but also why we should read the whole book of Galatians. I mean, you don't want to stop here because there's so much teaching that Paul does, and it makes so much sense um, based on that context and also our context today. But we are we are into our last eight minutes here or so, so I want to get through the end and have your final thoughts. So we're just going to do verses eight and nine and, and talk from there. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The language, and this is, he's repeating himself, and it's especially dark, almost gets even darker from the ones before, and Paul seems to be pronouncing a curse on these teachers in Galatia. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of backed into those those verses, didn't we, with Galatians 3.10, talking about the curse that God pronounces on those who don't observe and obey Moses' law. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you saw that coming. Galatians 3.10, you saw it coming because it's right here in verses 8 to 9. We're flagging concerns of the rest of the level, uh, letter here. But, I mean, this the reason this language is so potent, remember, we're, we're talking to people who have abandoned the worship of the gods. Um, you know, you, you'll have in Paul's other letters people who are still a little queasy about the gods they used to worship. And so in 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, you'll have some people whose consciences are bothered by, by food sacrificed to a non-existent idol. It, it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't exist. And so, but people are concerned about this. You know, they're frightened by this. I mean, because it, yeah, but I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around that that God doesn't exist. So, so this is a world full of gods and demons. And so when you talk about the threat of a divine curse, that would have been terrifying. So, so Paul is so upset by this teaching at Galatia, no matter how understandable that it is, they pronounce as a divine curse on any who would, who would speak contrary to that teaching. And, and even to, to emphasize the point, he even puts himself in that boat. I don't care if he's an apostle or not. I mean, or I'm an apostle or not, Paul would say. Apostle or not, even if I were to teach contrary to this message, a curse, if, even if an angel from heaven should teach contrary to this message, let them be accursed. And, and, and so this is, this is very powerful uh, language for people who, who certainly would never, never want to bring about the gods or the gods curse. And that's interesting. I've heard I've heard this verse be um, addressed with a, a friend of mine and his brother started going to a Mormon church. And one of the things that he encouraged his brother, you know, his brother's a Missouri Senate pastor, was, okay, listen to the message and, and hear what the gospel is. And with a very short time period, he, he, he quoted Galatians 1, 8, and 9 and said, wait, they have another gospel. This is not good. How many gods are we supposed to have? No, there's one God. And so this is very relevant for us today. Like, no, there is one gospel. And no matter if it's the, uh, if the angel Moroni comes and tells you a different gospel, don't believe it because there's only one gospel found in Christ and him crucified for your sins given to you by faith. Um, well, Pastor, Pastor Peter, let, me punctuate, let me punctuate that point for you. Um, in the ancient world, when you talked about gospels, this noun, you always use that noun in the plural. The Jews would talk about the, the, the plural good news. It's uh, maybe say glad tidings, plural, the glad tidings of what God is doing for his people Israel in the prophet Isaiah. If you were a Greek or a Roman, you would talk about the gospel, and it was always in the plural. 
the good news, the glad tidings uh, of the emperor, you know, who, who is, is incarnate, and, and this God incarnate and, and the good news of what he's about to, to, to bring on earth. So, so the first Christians are unique, even though this noun is always used in the plural by Jews, Greeks, and Romans. The Christians were unique in talking about not a gospel plural, but a gospel singular message, and it is the gospel message, the one gospel message of Jesus Christ. Wow. Let's conclude with verse 10, uh, and then we'll close it out. We have about three minutes left here, Pastor. Or excuse me, Dr. Dr. Das. For I'm now seeking the approval of man, or of God, or am I trying to please man? If it were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, it reads in your commentary, for I'm now trying to persuade people or God, or am I speaking, or am I seeking to please people? If I'm still trying to please people, would I not be a slave of Christ? That's how you translate in the commentary. What is Paul ending this verse? What is he telling us? Well, the ancients viewed a lot of public speeches as exercises and flattery. They're for entertainment. So Paul says, am I seeking to please people here? Well, no, I would not be a slave of Christ. This isn't about people pleasing. This is about saying what needs to be said. Paul is genuinely trying to persuade the Galatians. I mean, when he pronounces a curse of the rival teachers in, in the verses just before, isn't that the ultimate act of persuasion? Do you really want to be following a cursed teachers? Do you really want to bring down God's curse in yourself? And at the same time, calling down a curse was also an attempt publicly to persuade God to act. Here's Paul, right in the hearing of the Galatians, invoking the God he just prayed, praised in worship. A few verses earlier in verse 5, now publicly invoking God to bring about this curse on the rivals. And ultimately, any would follow their teaching. You know, we're not in the business of people-pleasing. We have this urgent message for our world, and it's even more urgent here in these last days that salvation and a right relationship with the one true God, that's only through Jesus Christ and through our faith in Him. As we look at these first 10, 10 verses, there's a lot to unpack. We have about a minute and a half here, uh, Dr. Das. How would you summarize the opening of this letter to the Galatians, and what should we take from it? Well, Martin Luther used to talk about how the doctrines of Scripture are all an unbroken circle. And when we introduced false teaching, Luther explained, we're collapsing that circle. And at the center of that unbroken circle is the teaching of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Everything we believe feeds into that. And an error in one part is a cancer that affects it all. Paul's going to say a little later in Galatians. This is not surprising because a little later in Galatians, he'll say a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. It only takes the tiniest cancer to infect the whole body. So he's going to be a little rough here at the end of Galatians 4, that, that we're to drive, we Galatians are to drive out the slave woman and her son. We have to drive away those who, who teach contrary to the precious, saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to turn our eyes away from them, away from them, and back to a God who sent his precious son to rescue us from our sins and to deliver us from this present evil age. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think that's all we can say is amen. Dr. Andrew Doss is professor of religious studies at Elmhurst College in Elmhurst, Illinois, starting us off on the right foot with the gospel of our Lord Jesus in the book of Galatians. Dr. Doss, thank you for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Saints of our Lord, when it comes to the gospel, there is only one, and that is through Christ, our Lord Jesus, who has taken your sin on account of him and him alone. By faith, we are counted righteous in his sight. 
that is something worth fighting for. Fight the good fight with all your might. Christ is your strength and Christ your right. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <laughs>